everyone, welcome to the show. This is episode number 107 of Pop Culturally Deprived, and today we're going to be talking about National Lampoon's Animal House on your, I think it's Locked or Something, podcast. I'm Andy Kay. And I'm Matthew Vose. We're definitely now in February. We are into the year, um, and we're continuing picking up a, a couple of older classics. Animal House is 40-something years old now. Is it 40 this year? Yes. Okay. It was. Uh, it is a much celebrated film. Is definitely one you see referenced through the annals of, of cinema history mm-hmm. uh, since it came out. How come you've not seen National Lampoon's Animal House? I simply wasn't allowed to watch it when I was younger. Okay, but both parents, just your mum, anyone in particular? I I don't remember my dad being involved in in decisions okay. like that. So definitely okay. my mom. Right. <laughs> Although interestingly enough, I was talking about this movie last night um, with Joseph and, and his son is here. His son is 16. And he just said up front, he's like, the Sage can't watch that. He's like, he's not allowed to watch it. It's mm-hmm. like, how interesting. Still, even now, we're not letting teenagers watch this. And then I watched it and I said, hmm, I kind of understand. I, I was going to ask, do you agree with the decision not to let you watch this? Um, Yes and no. I mean, honestly, I think I think the main reason was the nudity. Okay. Honestly, I think that's the main reason I wasn't allowed to watch it. And and I think it's it's very gratuitous nudity. Mm. So I, I understand why I wasn't allowed to watch it as a child. Would I make the same decision for my own children? I Probably not, but it would be one of those things where I would watch it with them. Okay. Which they wouldn't want to do because it would embarrass them and it would be funny. <laughs> so there we go. There was a good tweet that came on the other day of someone saying, you know, brief 10-second sex scene starts in a movie. My dad, who's been missing for 15 years, turns up, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the history of Animal House? All right. National Lampoon's Animal House is a comedy directed by John Landis and written by Harold Ramis, Douglas Kennedy, and Chris Miller. Released in 1978, it stars Tim Matheson, John Belushi, Thomas Hulse, and Stephen First. Many other notable faces had roles, including Donald Sutherland, Mark Metcalf, Kevin Bacon, and Karen Allen. We talked about the National Lampoon magazine when we did National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation last year. It was a popular humor magazine on college campuses in the mid-70s, specializing in political satire and pop culture that spun out from the Harvard Lampoon. Animal House was the first movie produced by National Lampoon. Both Doug Kenny and Chris Miller were writers for the magazine, and they drew on their own college and fraternity experiences to create characters that would later appear in the film. Filmmaker Ivan Reitman was a fan and wanted to make movies with National Lampoon, but first he put together a comedy show called The National Lampoon Show in New York City, and the cast was Gilda Radner, John Belushi, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, and Brian Doyle Murray. Most of that cast moved on to SNL, so Ramis and Reitman worked towards adapting skits from the show into a feature film. Universal Studios agreed to make it for $2.8 million, and it became one of the highest-grossing comedies in history. To put that in perspective, it would go on to make back its $3 million budget 47 times, and last year's hit Black Panther made back its budget just six times. It frequently appears on Funniest Movie List, and in 2001, the United States Library of Congress selected it for preservation in the National Film Registry for being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And this was very much the film, I think, like we talked about last time, this is the film they were chasing the success of. Oh, well, we could do this again and again and again and again. Mm -hmm. And when that doesn't happen, they just start licensing the name National Lampoon. 
Right. Yeah. Give us a million. You can slap it on the front of your, you know, video case. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's worth throwing out, there was a movie released on Netflix last year called A Futile and Stupid Gesture, which is um, about the rise and fall of the National Lampoon, uh, particularly about Doug Kenny himself. Covers, obviously, some of this period and the making of, of this film. It was one of the best films I watched in the year. Certainly one of the okay. best 2018 films. I would recommend everyone go and seek it out. Okay. I did not know that was there. Mm, it's very good. I, I was surprised. I thought, okay, this could be a bit of fun. Some very clever bio- biography stuff being done in there. Okay. So yeah. is it actually a documentary? It's not a documentary because I think it was a book. So they basically adapted the book of the history of National okay. Lampoon. They've done it with actors playing everything. Mm. Um, but it is obviously based on what actually happened. But then uh, there, there is some very clever stuff in there that I'm, you can hear I'm trying to talk around. Right, right, right. Um, yeah. Uh, but particularly with the people they get to play them. The... the, the very obvious one is they've got uh, Joel McHale playing Chevy Chase. Okay. And Chevy Chase made Joel McHale's life very difficult when he, they made Community together. Right. <laughs> so right. I think that's just, oh, that'll be fun. Let's cast him. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, if you are like me and have not yet seen Animal House, it is obviously a college campus comedy. So Faber College's Dean Warmer has a plan to rid the campus of the mischievous Delta House forever. But the Delta Boys have plans of their own in this side-splitting parody of college life. So says IMDb. Yep, that is a good one. I think that was IMDb. That might have yeah. been Amazon. It was one of them somewhere. I think we'll, we'll talk about the plot in a bit. Um, how were you plot. able to watch that? Is it available over there? It is actually on Netflix. Hey! Hooray! That rarely happens anymore. It, yeah, it feels like it's been a while. <laughs> yeah. And I am guessing Sky Cinema. Uh, Sky Cinema do have this. I do also own it. Oh. I, I think I bought it in about 2004 because I think I'd seen it on, t- you know, a late night Channel 4 showing or something in my teens and really enjoyed it. And you just couldn't buy it over here. And then so I visited, I think it was 2004, I visited my friend Dom in Seattle and found it on Region 1 DVD. So I bought it. Okay. So I have it. Not entirely sure I could still play it, but. Right. <laughs> but it's there. Yeah. All right. Okay. Uh, there are a lot of people in this. There's a lot of people involved in the making, the writing, and the acting in this. What's your experience of every single one of them? <laughs> <laughs> We've talked about some of them before. Mm. We've had Karen Ellen on the show. She was Marion in uh, Indiana Jones movies. Um, we've talked about how I love the West Wing on this movie before. So Tim Matheson, obviously I know him as Vice President Hoynes. Um, John Belushi, I know him primarily just from being on SNL. He's, I I don't know that I've ever seen him do anything else. I'm just, he's iconic. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's seen the poster of him with the college shirt on from this movie. And then there are two Buffy references in this movie. I was Mm. delighted to discover so Mark Metcalf, who played Niedermeyer, was obviously the master in season one of Buffy. Donald Sutherland played Merrick, Buffy's watcher, in the movie. Mm. And, I mean, there are, there are others, but those are the big ones that stood out to me that were either immediately recognizable or their name was recognizable to me. Right, yeah. Because I have to be honest, I wouldn't have realized that was Mark Metcalf. No, absolutely. Once I realized who he was, I could hear it. Like, if I closed my eyes and listened to him talking, I could hear the master talking. Okay. Just tell me, mister, what fraternity would pledge a man like you? You've tasted it. 
I'm your faithful dog. You bring me scraps. But I would never have known if, if I hadn't seen his name in the opening credits or been spoiled on Twitter. Thanks, Garrett, that uh, he was in it. <laughs> then I wouldn't have known. Right. Okay. A couple that I want to point out. We had Thomas Hulse in this. Uh, who yes. we, we've previously seen in Hunchback, and I keep mentioning he's also in... Uh, yeah, Amadeus. I completely forgot the name there. Thank you very much. <laughs> and he was in Parenthood, <laughs> which we talked about. And he, he absolutely was. Uh, we had Peter Reigert, who was the butler in Oscar. Yes. Uh, also directed by John Landis. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, actually, we've not mentioned John Landis there. I don't think you've seen much of his stuff. Because certainly his big ones, Blues Brothers, An American Werewolf... Uh, trading Places, Muppets Take Manhattan. We, he wrote Clue or produced Clue. Mm. Yeah, I know, I know we've talked about him before, but I, I don't really remember much mm. about it. So that just leads me to believe that I'm not really well-versed in, in him. Yeah. Well, he's got a few films that I think we will pick up at some point. Like I say, Blues Brothers, uh, Trading Places, and Three Amigos are the ones that stand out to me. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm not seeing much here on the list that I have seen, obviously. Okay, yeah. So. It's also worth pointing out Doug Kenny, who obviously wrote and founded the National Lampoon, um, he was one of the frat boys himself. Yes. He was Stork, I think it was. Uh-huh. He has yep. you know, one, maybe two lines. The one in the yellow sweater with the glasses and the really yeah. weird, weird hair. Yeah. Yep. Um, he also wrote Caddyshack, which I have not seen. Hmm. Yes, very funny guy. Okay, um, we we sometimes find it hard to find similar material. Not in this case. <laughs> this so is the archetype for a lot of modern films and, and films throughout the eighties and nineties, particularly. What's your experience of the college campus comedy? Uh, well, my first thought watching it was this is basically the American Pie from the seventies. Like mm-hmm. American Pie was my Animal House. Right, if that makes sense. Um, and then you know every other college movie frat tv show out there so there was a show called greek on abc family channel that i loved and i watched all okay of it that really kind of mirrored this movie really well they just yeah. did it slightly less offensively i think but you know it it worked um, pitch perfect honestly it's about acapella singers but it still had the same kind of dynamic between the the good guys and the the bad guys and the slobs and, and all of that stuff and mm-hmm. the outcast and and that. So this is definitely a genre of movie that I am not unfamiliar with. Okay, cool. Okay, did you enjoy Animal House? Parts of it were funny. Okay. The music was great. Mm-hmm. I I didn't hate it. I, I think I'm, I'm glad I watched it. I, I think... That if you're going to be somebody who talks about movies, then you should watch movies like this because it's an important movie in American pop culture. Mm-hmm. So how about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good chat. Let's not dive too deeply on this one. <laughs> oh, no, boy. I think, um, honestly, yeah. I think this this movie has, it has a lot of stuff going for it. It has a lot of bad stuff in it. It has mm. a lot of stuff that particularly now we look back on it and it's horrifying. Um, it's it's sexist. It's misogynistic. It's racist. It's it's just it's got a lot of ists. Yeah, you know, ists in and it. Ics. it does. Yeah. It really does. But it has 
some good things going for it too. It, it's smart. It was well written for its time. You know, it was subversive. It, you know, it it elevated counterculture. It defined a genre of this type of film for decades to come. It has mm. shaped American college experiences for decades. I haven't personally experienced Greek life. I did not go to a traditional college that had this sort of thing, but okay. um, I did a lot of reading and realized that a lot of people have had experiences similar to this, you know? And so I think it's important not to like throw the baby out with the bathwater because Animal House, while being a movie that could not be made today, was important for when it was made. Hmm. Should we dive into the problematic? Should we get get this conversation done? Sure. In your watching of the film, was there a point where you went, okay, no, it's lost me, or or has, does it have the vibe all the way through? No, it kind of has the vibe all the way through. Okay. Um, I think, honestly, the underlying current of the whole thing for me was the male gaze. Mm. I think that was the, the one thread that just didn't stop. God, there was so much nudity in this movie. Like yeah. nudity that had absolutely no reason to be in this movie, mm-hmm. um, and and so that that was the the main one I think. But then you have things like the scene at the bar that God, I just I wish that scene wasn't <laughs> in it. I really yeah. do, you know. And I've read over and over again that the studio wanted that scene not to be in there, and they got Richard Pryor's stamp of approval because he thought it was funny because white people are crazy. And I look at that and I'm like, that's awesome. But one man doesn't speak for an entire race. No. Yeah. (laughs) Like you can't just say, okay, this black person thinks it's funny. So it's okay. Mm. Cause it's not okay. You know, you've got uh, Bluto in the ladder and looking in the, you know, the, the house of the naked girls and, uh, and and the fact that the way they write girls in the dormitory is topless having a pillow fight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that I I don't know that that's ever actually happened in the history of ever. <laughs> yeah. Ever? It so it's just it, it is wildly problematic in a lot of ways. That's yeah. That that's really all I have is is I was I was trying really hard to kind of step back from it because I know that this movie is iconic and I know that this movie is important and I didn't want to come into it and just hate it like I have done with so many other movies (laughs) we talked about on this show I was trying to understand it so I'm trying real hard you hear me talking in circles around it Ray I'm I'm trying real hard (laughs) okay do do you have a stance on the continuing available or watchability of a film like this like i can i can take a stance on kevin spacey and say yes american beauty is a wonderful film yes there are other things that he's done that are very good but you know what no i i i'm gonna find it very hard to ever watch anything like that again and the same with a number of other actors and producers this film has some merits to it so can Mm -hmm. we take a stance and say let's actually no let's move on there are other equally as good comedies that do not have these problems so let's do them or do you have a softer view is not the right word but a different view on that and i'm never going to hold you to it so don't worry i know i know (laughs) i i think it's okay to watch this movie i do If, if for no other reason than for it to be a learning experience of where we were and where we should be trying to go 
Mm, okay. And yeah, that that is a nice differentiator. This can spark a conversation of, okay, look how problematic attitudes were. In the same way we do with uh, problematic movies about race from the 40s and, well, you know, the 50s and 60s and 70s, but you know. Right. Well, because this movie didn't set out to be problematic. It it it, it set out to be like shock and awe. It it set out to mm. be subversive, but it didn't set out to promote sexual assault. It didn't set out to promote racism. It set out to make people laugh and to think differently mm. about what may be happening. I mean, cuz this movie came out it came out in the 1978, but it's set in 1961. I think, right? And so it's set in that time period of, of American history where we're moving from one way of thinking into another way of thinking. It's very much set during a transitional period of time. And I think it's trying to say something about that. Now, I didn't live then, so I don't entirely understand it, but I can see that they were trying really hard to do something other than be blatantly problematic. Okay. And so I think I'm trying to give them credit for that, even though in 2018, I can look back on that and say, that's really terrible. And I can't believe that people really did things like that. But the fact of the matter is people really did do things like that, you know? And you calling out that the male gaze is the first thing that really permeates the film is a great way to look at it. This is utterly written from the experience of... The white privileged kids who went mm-hmm. to college in a fraternity and hit on every woman they could, yeah, and and looked at women with absolute impunity. And there was there was nothing in this film necessarily for anyone outside of that. Right. There's potentially nothing for women. Potentially nothing for people who either don't have the white privilege, don't have the same color as these people, the same religion as these people, and, and they even make jokes about that at times. So maybe it's okay to make films for your people. In inverted commas. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're showing this to even you know, privileged white guys, you should have the conversation of, yeah, isn't this a moment? Mm-hmm. We can laugh because it's ridiculous and wouldn't happen. Or shouldn't yes. happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I read a, a review today where someone said that basically this movie was told from the perspective of a like white middle school boy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, that, I feel like that's pretty spot on. Which is why, yeah, I think remembering watching it as a teen and going, oh, yes, this is really funny. And then you come to it later and you're like, oh, yeah, no, no. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, it's like I used to love American Pie. Mm. I did. I saw that in the movie theater when I was senior in high school and I thought it was hysterical. Right. And now, like, if, if I watched it now, I would just be, like, cringing. Yeah, I haven't time. seen like, it in a I... very long time. I'm not sure how well it's held up or not. <laughs> why did I ever think that would be funny? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, the reverse Malice and Hannigan at the end of it is spectacular. That is genuinely <laughs> funny. <laughs> yeah, so it it does have some some good good things. Mm. Joseph suggested that perhaps the movie Neighbors is today's version of this, but I haven't yeah. seen Neighbors. If I recall correctly, it has Zac Efron in it. Zac Efron and then they then have the sorority in the second one. Yeah. Mm, okay. The the thing that stood out to me, particularly watching it, is how this film is utterly a double standards. The guys go on dates and see multiple women and, and fall around with multiple women, but expect the women to be there just for them. Yes. Their, their woman, in inverted commas. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's double standards about nudity, about 
everything. And and that's why, exactly like you said, it is utterly in their viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Again, writing it now, you'd perhaps have slightly more diversity, hopefully in the backroom staff and being able to make the film like this. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I said a couple of weeks ago, that film Blockers that I watched has a bit more diversity going on with it, but it is also about the girls trying to lose their virginity and their parents dealing with it. And, you know, it's a different take on some of the same sort of idea of going to parties and getting drunk. Right. Hmm. Um, you mentioned the date. And, and one of the questions I wanted to ask you was whether you had noted what date it was and whether that had had an impact on you and on your watching of it. No, because I didn't understand the significance of that date until after I watched it and started reading what people had Okay, you have it. seen it since, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I understand now that the, the parade was set the day before the assassination of JFK. Mm. And, I mean, it didn't have any impact on me because I didn't know that when I was watching it. Okay. And I... I, I don't I don't know what the movie was trying to say by doing that. And so it doesn't really matter to me if it was set on any other day. Okay. For them to pick that day, I feel like they were trying to make a statement. I just don't know what it was. Right. Yeah, I, I had wondered if seeing that it was, you know, almost 15 plus years before it was even made had an impact. Like this is getting back more into a sort of happy days era rather than into Vietnam War and so on. Mm-hmm. But I don't know enough about, uh, you know, American culture at the time, so I can't really comment. The one thing I did see was that they said this, the, the assassination of JFK is the point at which America starts losing its innocence. Mm-hmm. Which is a fairly bold statement. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, it, it I, I think it's a, a culture of innocence, really. Yeah. Not, because America has no innocence ever. <laughs> but it's moving from a time of, like, when you think of the 50s, you think of when you when you put aside Jim Crow and you, and you put aside all of that stuff, which is a whole other story, you think of the nuclear family. You think of mm. very specific, traditional, the American dream that happened in the 50s. Yeah. And then after the assassination of JFK we transitioned away from that. That's when we started getting, you know, protesting and and rebellion and revolution and and Woodstock and free love. And and we just kind of, the culture of the nation started Mm. to change. And so that's why I said, I think this movie is important because it's set in that time period where it's trying to mark that change. Yeah. And, And so you're kind of seeing that difference because you're seeing the, the Omegas, kind of represent that more god i hate using the word innocence but that's what other people have used Mm -hmm. and so that's stuck in my head but it it represents that what came before and the Mm -hmm. deltas represent what we're moving towards and so they're trying to fight it out in the movie or something yeah i don't know (laughs) i think that's just me trying to be super intelligent about something but i i think for them to have set the movie, I mean, it's made in 1978, so we're almost in the 80s. For them to have gone back and set it so much earlier, I feel like they did it on purpose because mm. they were trying to make a statement. Uh, at the very least, it allows them not to have TV and other elements of mass media in there. Because th- mm. this is definitely the point that TV starts becoming much more of a norm. Um, yeah, that's and, true. and seeing images on TV. So it allows them to be, actually, this is just about people going out and having parties and so on. 
Yeah. Disco bops. Um, definitely not innocence because, just as a quick aside, innocent people do not throw so much tea into a harbour, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's definitely it's a poor choice of words. I just don't know another. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what the, what they said about it. It was it was a very interesting idea. Um, the the date didn't make any difference to me ex- except for seeing a reference to exactly why they put it at that point. Mm-hmm. So the plot. There's a plot. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not quite as skit like as Monty Python and Holy Grail was, but it's really close. It is really close. The double secret probation stuff is arguably <laughs> the only plot. Or, or is the plot about Doody and Doody trying to get into a fraternity and then making friends? Not really, because that Mm-mm. comes to nothing. Doody and Doody. Really? Doody and Doody. What's his, what's the name? Doody and Doody. Larry and Kent or Larry Pinto and Flounder. Kent. Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea of anyone's names from this because they've all got three names. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. They do. I... And I, I was I was desperately trying to follow Mandy and Babs to sort of see what oh, happened yeah, to still them during it. The Completely mix them two. up. <laughs> yeah, they both had really big blonde hair. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. No, th- I mean because this movie is based on skits. They, mm. It's basically a, an improv show that they turned into a movie by sprinkling. Yeah these short stories into it <laughs> and the way it ended it reminded me so much of the way monty python ended mm. it didn't infuriate me as much here <laughs> as it did with monty python and i i think it's interesting because again i think the the word that we used that somebody brought up um with monty python they speculated that i didn't like monty python because it was absurd okay and at the time i thought that's probably spot on animal house is undoubtedly absurd But it didn't invoke the same confusion and rage that Monty Python did. And I I don't know why. I I don't know the difference. Even the end. My initial reaction at the end was, seriously, this is how they're ending it? And then I thought about it and I was like, oh, okay. That works. And I I don't know why it worked here. I suspect it's because we did get some sense of closure because they did the whole captions, you know, this character did this and this character did this and this character did this. So it wasn't completely open-ended. That's my only speculation. I I think I'm the reverse of you, I'm afraid. I like Monty Python because it's at least a bit clever. I mean, mean, they're both exactly the same. They do not have an ending for their film. They do not know how to finish this series of skits. Mm -hmm. Monty Python at least goes to a slightly meta place. Right. With like, oh no, it's a movie and now we're going to shut down the movie so the film has to end. This is just, oh, we don't have an ending. Let's end it in chaos and put some text up on screen to give us a sense of closure. Okay. Which the jokes in that are just the weakest that they could have come up with. Oh, only one of them was really problematic to me. Oh yeah, one of them is definitely fairly problematic. Uh, The the one about becoming a gynecologist is, uh, okay... And, oh, look, he becomes a senator. Sure, sure. Although, as Catherine said, like, it's a good joke until you get to the Supreme Court Justice nomination. And I'm like, oh, okay, it's reality. Good, 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 good. <laughs> yeah, well, so apparently they did a mockumentary for the 20 or 
25th of some one of the special editions. Okay. They did a mockumentary following up with the characters, mm-hmm. and he actually went on to become the United, the president of the United States. Nice. Okay. Thought <laughs> uh, I'd throw that out there. <laughs> they just didn't have an ending, did they? They didn't. No. Um, because they gave us that closure, I liked it. It okay. didn't leave me feeling like I was floundering around. Got it. Grasping. Floundering. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I did that on purpose. Uh, there's a number of relationships in this. Again, all treated very differently. I, I think the Karen Allen and Peter Rygart one is the one that's supposed to be the legit relationship during it. And it's the one that makes me the most angry. Yeah. She again, straight up cheats on him with a professor, and then they end up back together. Yeah. He did take another girl out on a date with, it appears, the intention of sleeping with her during that well, same evening. Yeah, that um, is true. Again, it's just utter double standards. Yes, it um, is. And it's just so strange, because I'm not sure I see it from Donald Sutherland, except it's just the funny thing with the professor, but... Oh. And we do see Donald Sutherland's bottom. Which we I think do. is meant meant to make us laugh. Probably. <laughs> By it that didn't. point, there'd been a lot of skin on screen. Yes. <laughs> it was just like, eh, more skin. Okay. Yeah. The other one that ends up as an actual relationship, it seems, is Thomas Hulse and the mayor's daughter. That one would have been okay if they hadn't done the gag of, I'm only 13. Yeah. The movie did not need that. No. Mom and Dad, all. this is the boy who molested me. We need to get married. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it still would have been funny without that, Mm. I think. Um, I actually really like, I've seen people complain about the whole devil and angel scene Mm. on his shoulder. I actually appreciated that scene. Okay. Because he made the right choice. Mm. And I think it's in reality, there, there are people who would have... That split second thought of, well, she came here to do this thing, so we should do this thing. Wait, no. That's wrong. I'm not going to do that. And so I appreciate that they actually went through the motions of getting to the right decision there. Mm. Even though it should be an automatic, no, we're not going to do that. Mm. We clearly know in, in this day and age, for a lot of people, that's not an automatic. And so for seeing... In 1978, they took the time to take you there. Yeah, it it puts me in mind of what you said during Hunchback about how, yes, the film is trying to show us that every man lusts after Esmeralda, but they never have anything in uh, confrontation to that to say, no, this isn't a good thing. You shouldn't be lusting after Mm -hmm. in this way or treating him in that way. At least in in this, you're right, they do exactly that thing. They say, no, you shouldn't do it. Right. And he doesn't do it. He doesn't cave to the pressure. He, uh, and you you don't need the homophobic slander at the end of it. But again, even under the pressure that we see him under, he doesn't do it. Right. Plus one for the film. <laughs> uh... <laughs> so what is that, like negative 205 million? Yeah, something. Somewhere like that, yeah. Um, and, and the other one is the Babs and Mandy and, uh, was it Marmalade? And Otter? Marmalade? Uh, uh, so Greg. <laughs> it, it, it was I Greg, I can't remember his name. Yeah, yeah, I think it was Greg. I can't remember his name. He was with Mandy, but she and Otter had possibly been together, and he was also doing stuff with Babs on the side. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm not sure half of that was necessary. It just felt like a distraction. I don't, yeah, I don't I find any the of it whole, funny. The We didn't need to have the scene where they beat Otter up because it had no bearing on the plot whatsoever. Mm. They had already been kicked out of the college, so they were still going to do the parade thing, you know, unless yeah. they were trying to say that him getting beat up by the Omegas was the catalyst for Otter to be on board. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that they could have done that completely differently, and he, we didn't need any of that. Yeah. So, good. There's not a huge amount of, conversa- of conversation to have around it. Again, like something like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, <laughs> there's a lot of skits. Um, That's true. D- they're woven together generally a bit better, so you can't just look at them as discrete moments in the film. Um, or at least in my head, they're not discrete moments in the same way Holy Grail is. Right. Were there any that particularly worked for you that you were were pleased that made you laugh out loud? No. Okay. <laughs> Nothing. There, there wasn't anything that made you laugh out loud. Anything that was okay. That's quite good. No, I'm looking at my notes. No, I had a lot of incredulity and a lot of caps lock and <laughs> a lot of questions. But no. But you said you had enjoyed parts of it. Yeah. So is there anything you can point to and go? Okay, so the music in this is fantastic. Okay. Absolutely. I loved the way that they interwove, like, pop hits, like Shout and Louie Louie, which I've had stuck Mm. in my head for the last 24 hours. Thank you very much. With the use of classical music. Mm-hmm. Classic, using classical music in a comedy like this was something that hadn't been done before and I think it's fantastic I think all of the music was fantastic the score of, of just how the music kind of under it, it showed you kind of what you were supposed to be feeling so it was like very pompous at times and it was right. very light and airy at other times and it it just kind of it walked you through what was mm-hmm. on screen and I really enjoyed it and then, of course, we got Shout and Louie Louie, so I'm not going to yeah. complain about that. And the the dance scene to Shout does go on a very long time. It does, but I didn't mind it. Okay. I really didn't mind it at all, because I like the song. Okay, got it. I think there were a couple of good lines, mm-hmm. and actually they were both John Belushi's lines. He had very few lines in this movie. He's very much a physical comedy kind of guy. Mm. Um, but after he gets expelled, he says something like seven years of college down the drain. Yeah. Which is funny. It's humorous. <laughs> Tells you everything about it. <laughs> and then, you know, when he's trying to like give everybody that pep talk and he's like, it's not over till it's over. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> and I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Possibly the most subtle joke of the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. But mm. I also like that they called attention to it, you know, because the guys he was talking to obviously knew that he was wrong. Yeah. Like, they didn't make it the gag where everybody was like, no. (laughs) You know, they were like, eh, just go with it. Mm. You know, so so that was nice. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, that's that's really about it. As far as lines, I think overall it was entertaining. Okay. But it wasn't... I can't pull out specific, like you said, like skits or like scenes that were really, really good because it mm. was just all woven together so much. I, I think probably my least favorite was Otter 
pretending to be some dead girl's fiance to get a date. <laughs> yeah. Because it takes a while to get to where they're going uh-huh. on that idea. Like, there is a long period there that where you're just watching going, I think he's making this up to try and get a date out of it. But mm-hmm. they're not giving a punchline yet. Right. But then the punchline ended up being the racist jokes yeah. in the bar. Mm. So it it was all... And and there were ways of doing that. In the same way, there were ways of doing... Well, ex- exactly the bit you had with the, the devil and the angel. There's ways of doing a bunch of white college kids go to a bar that is pretty much black people only. Mm-hmm. And having it, the joke is their privilege makes them absolutely not understand that this is not a place they should go or they're not welcome there or they're changing the vibe of the situation. Well, see, and I thought that was the direction they were going to go. Mm. But that is not where they went. No. The vibe is, oh, yeah, because all these people are scary and going to kill you. Right. Shame. Uh, there there was, was one line that I particularly enjoyed. Um, and I don't know why, but when he's reading them out there, uh, GPAs, and he says to one of them, fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. And there is just something of, oh, but he's going to give it a go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Speaking I, of their GPAs, I have no idea how one could get a 0.2 GPA. <laughs> Is that like you got a D on one bit of coursework? Maybe. Like <laughs> all Fs and one D? Yeah. That just, wow. <laughs> I feel like some of the, the best lines in general were uh, the, the, the the principal. The dean. dean. Dean, head of the college. Um, yeah. Just, he had, he was so straight with it, but they gave him a lot of tomfoolery. Mm-hmm. You know, the foot is going to come down and that foot is me. Double secret probation. Exactly. That is called double secret probation. Is excellent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and he was so, like, he, the actor, I cannot remember who the actor is, but he, he did it, like you're saying, so straight, so deadpan, so serious. Like, he meant all of these things, even though it was sometimes the most ridiculous words coming out of his mouth. Mm. It's pretty great. Yeah. I, I've had to try to reconcile this. Because I do enjoy John Belushi up the ladder, bouncing his way along the house. <laughs> like the whole right. thing, the the reason for being up the ladder, the ridiculousness of what's going on, and then the watching the girl in the absolute uh, every bit of lingerie she could wear is not good. Right. But at the same time, the fact that he's on this ladder and decides to move to the other window, and rather than getting down and moving the ladder, he jumps the ladder along the house. Right. It's the sort of thing I'd expect from like a Buster Keaton film. It's that kind of visual physical comedy. It's just a shame it's not done in such a way of like, oh, he's cleaning the house and he wants to get across very quickly. Right. Mm. They did at least sort of punish him for what he did by having him fall. Yeah. I think. I mean, it's obviously not enough and everything, but but the joke kind of ended up being on him there. He was the punchline. Mm. I'm I'm reaching. I understand. I'm reaching. <laughs> um, and the, the the skit that I do enjoy particularly is when they're trying to take revenge on some of the people part way through, and they take the horse and they put the horse in the dean's office, and they give uh, flounder. Flounder. Yep, they give flounder the gun, but they put blanks in it. 
And mm-hmm. I, what I was expecting is the old gag of he fires the gun, it doesn't work, so he beats the horse to death with the f- handle of the oh, gun wow. or something. That's the, <laughs> there was an old gag along those lines. Um, okay. I was kind of expecting that. But to have that he does wimp out of it, he tries to fire it in the air uh, like a good honourable man. And then, and then the, not only does the horse have a heart attack and fall over and die, but you get this shot of a scared, excited horse freeze frame for just yes. a second or two, and then he goes down. Yeah, it's very well done. And then, and then you you see, is it D Day and Bluto, D Day and someone? They just realise, oh, we've gone too far. Oh dear. Yeah. They're <laughs> like, oh my god, it was supposed to be blanks. What happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I. Okay, I did laugh at that. I really okay. did. Yeah, I do like that one. <laughs> you know, I mean, there were other lines that I laughed at. The, the I think it's locked or something gag when he mm-hmm. was trying to get her bra off. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the situation is not super funny, but I mean, it's funny. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> yeah, that was quite funny because they went on so long with it. Uh-huh. Just the constant, like, he has no idea what he's doing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. I did have, so while we were watching this at the very beginning um, in the ROTC scene where Niedermeyer is just yelling at Flounder, um, where he's like, is that a pledge pin on your uniform, blah, 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 blah. Redo those buttons. Dress that belt buckle. Straighten that cap. And God damn it, tuck up those pajamas. Attention! At front! What's that on your chest, mister? It's a pledge pin, sir. A pledge pin on your uniform! Joseph made me stop it. And he said, I know that's the guy from Twisted Sister. I was like, what are you talking about? I was like, no, it's not. I said, I'm pretty sure that's Mark Metcalf. And he's like, no, 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 no. And so he looks it up and he pulls up the Twisted Sister uh, music video for We're Not Gonna Take It. Yep. And um, so he ended up, he was actually confused because he thought that the guy was the lead singer because of the way they do the transition Okay. in the music video. And I said, no, but I looked it up and I said, that is actually Mark Metcalf reprising his role. He is channeling Douglas C. Niedermeyer in yep. this music video. And it's hilarious. <laughs> you are a disgusting slob. Stand up straight. Tuck in that shirt, adjust that belt buckle, tie those shoes. Twisted sister. What is that? Wipe that smile off your face. Do you understand? What is that? A twisted sister pin on your uniform? What kind of a man are you? You're worthless and weak. I thought that was pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's very good. Because, and I I picked up on it, because again, Mark Metcalf to me is the master. I'm not Mm -hmm. used to seeing him with a normal human face. Mm. (laughs) And so I don't really recognize that normal human face. But I could hear it whenever he started yelling at the kid in the music video, is that a twisted sister pin? And I was like, oh my God, he just said that in the movie. And so I was able to bring it all together. (laughs) Yeah, because thinking Buffy, we never get the Master's history, do we? We never see him in human form. Correct. Even when he comes to Darla, he is already changed. Yes. Okay. Yep. Ooh. 
So just coming out of this, I think there is one film I would recommend. Again, I've not seen it in a while, so I'm not totally sure it will hold up. But um, old school. Luke Wilson, Will Ferrell, Vince Vaughn. Um, okay. Has a lot of the same plot at times. Particularly the whole double, double secret probation thing. Um, oh. But Old School was a film that I think I might have mentioned before. Reinvigorated my joy of going to the cinema. After oh, one of okay. very, very bad films. Uh, okay. so, so I do particularly enjoy it. I don't know how it holds up. I don't think I've seen it. I think I've seen clips. Okay. But I don't think I ever actually watched it because you said Will Ferrell's in it. Mm-hmm. And I had that run of time where I hated Will Ferrell, so okay. probably didn't watch it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, his his sequence you could basically excise from the film and it's a better film for it. Um, oh, wait, is this the one where he plays that really weird guy in, like, the silk robe? No, that is Wedding Crashes. Oh, okay, yeah, then I don't... I don't know what old school is then. Wedding Crashes is worth watching just for Isla Fisher. He is amazing <laughs> in that. Um, okay. uh, it also, I, I think this was the first film outing for Ellen Pompeo. Oh, okay. Mm, yeah, no, I've world. definitely not seen it then. Okay. That might be one to consider. Yeah, I... Uh, maybe. Uh, I hope so. Or at the very least, I can just watch it to watch it. Yeah. Is it Pompeo? Pompeo? Pompeo. <laughs> okay. You're right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I took a stab at it. <laughs> Good job. Mm. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing. You can send us an email at podcast at eloquentgushing.com, or you can leave us a voice message at speakpipe.com slash eloquentgushing. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at Mandy Kay. And I'm at Matthew Vose. Pop Culturally Deprived is completely funded by our wonderful listeners through Patreon. Anything you can give gives access to exclusive content and helps to support the network and to develop new shows. To find out more, you can visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And don't forget to check out all the other shows and blogs and videos and things available on our homepage, eloquentgushing.com. We'll be back next week with another episode of Pop Culturally Deprived where we'll talk about Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, with Sue from the Women at Warp podcast. Until next time, I'm Mandy Kay. And thank you, sir. May I have another? <laughs> we didn't talk about Kevin Bacon at all. We didn't, did we? <laughs> he is not a part of this film, though. No. Pop Culturally Deprived is an eloquent gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.